Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's reading is Exodus 19, 2 through 8, 20, 1 through 3. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel, camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen. It is not on. All right. Good morning and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We've been going through a series looking at the book of Exodus. This is our ninth sermon in that series. And we've been looking at this series because this is the original story of freedom. This is uh, one of the, the this, this has moved into our social imagination so much so that our culture loves freedom too now. We are a culture that likes the idea of freedom. As New Yorkers, we want everybody to be free. Now, but what do we want them to be free to do? Do we want people to be free to be able to kill each other easy, in a more easy way? Do we want people to be free to abuse each other? I think we can all agree that, no, we don't want people to be free in that way. And so that means that we still have to ask the question, then what do we really mean when we say we want people to be free? Freed from and freed to what? In our text, these people had been enslaved for hundreds of years. And now here in Exodus 19, Moses has brought them back to Mount Sinai. In Exodus 3, it was right here at the, in, in the shadow of this mountain that God called Moses to go get his people, and now we've come full circle, and they've come back, and this is the place where God's going to sit with his people and tell them what it means to be free. And, and we, we kind of know that from the, the text, it kind of alludes to it. Look at verse 2. It says it's in front of the mountain. Now, that's an interesting term because, as you know, mountains don't have fronts, so to speak. It's just, it just comes straight up geographically. And so it's alluding to the fact that they are before God, that it's in, in front of a throne room, it's in front of, 
him. And we're gonna, they're now going to hear what it means. When, what I find interesting is that from this point on, they're not going to move from this space for the next 60 biblical chapters. In other words, the first 19 chapters of Exodus, there's, it covers hundreds of years in many geographical areas. They've moved all over the place, and finally they sit here, and they're going to be here for a long time. Why? Because that's how long sometimes it takes to get freedom. And the question I want to ask us is, how long is it going to take us? How long will it take us? It takes them 60 biblical chapters. How long will it take us to get this in our hearts, into our culture, out into the world? I think our text helps, and I think we can break it down in three ways. We're going to look first at how law brings freedom to... I'm offline, so I can't do that. That's my phone. I don't know why it's offline. It's on radio. Okay. Let's try it again. (laughs) Number one. Our, break, our breakdown of our, of our servants is going to be, number one, that law brings freedom. Number two, there are good intentions, but they fail, even your phone. Number three, and last point, is going to be that they're God's framework of love. All right? So law brings freedom. Number two, you have good intentions, though, and yet they, they still fail, and yet, therefore, you need a framework of love that God brings. So first, the law that brings freedom. First 60 chapters, sorry, the next 60 chapters, starting here, Moses goes up and down the mountain. In just this chapter, if you counted, he goes up and down seven times. And by the next chapter, the, the the first couple words here, this is right before he gives the Ten Commandments in chapter 20. And there's gonna be a lot of other laws happening as well. And so somehow God is saying, therefore, that it is through law that freedom comes. And you start saying, how? How's that possible? How's the interrelationship between law and freedom? I thought they're, they're diametrically opposed, right? Doesn't law restrict you? Isn't freedom the idea of no restrictions? How is that possible? Go, go one step further. I think a lot of you and a lot of our world looks at biblical law and we look at it and we say, this is regressive. We say, this is uh, time-stamped. We, th- these are anachronistic. These are not helpful because these are arbitrary religious practices that we're trying to imprint on ourselves now, and they don't work. Others, others of you say, well, it's not just that. They're re- so restrictive, and this is just religious cultic practice that you, if you obey them, then you're in, and if you don't obey them, then you're out. Most of us usually think that's what this law is really about, one or the other, in both these ways. And I want to address both of those com- complaints. First, the idea that biblical law is just ancient, regressive, religious practice. Before you sneer at biblical law, I want us to at least admit that everybody has a law of life. Everybody lives by a law. Now, you might say, well, I don't do that. I think that everybody should, should be able to do, be free to do whatever their heart wants. And you need to realize if you say that phrase, that is a law that you live by. You might push back and say, okay, well, I don't think, okay, that's too too general. How about people are free to do what they want as long as it doesn't harm anybody else? You hear that a lot. And that's, that's a nice phrase, but again, then you have to start defining, well, what do you mean by harm? Everybody has a different version of what harm is. Some people will say that looking at pornography in your bedroom does not do harm to other people. Other people will say, yes, it does. And so it comes down to all laws tell us something about what we're meant for, how we ought to live, who we should uh, how, how, how we are formed. It's possible that you 
might not intend to hurt somebody else, but you're impacted. So what do you do about that? How does the law fix that? One way or the other, everybody lives by law because everybody has a view of how human reality, how humanity should be. True story. A couple, not couple, when Sarah and I were first married, so I guess this is more than 20 years ago, we still had her car that she had in college, and we were parking it here in New York City, and so we were doing the whole opposite side parking. You had to move it every single day. They had that back then as well. And we needed to fill it up, and so we went to the gas station. I think it's still there on 96th Street and 1st Ave. And we went over there, and I think we were having, let's call it an engrossing conversation. Maybe it was a fight. And we... uh, I got out and started pumping the gas, and so I'm, I'm thinking about that. And I got back in the car and started driving away. And all of a sudden, we started hearing all these people yelling and, and coming after our car and running after us. And maybe it's because I grew up in New York. When I see that, I'm going to keep driving. I'm like, let's, let's go. Fight or flight, I am flight. Let's, let's get out of here. Sarah had the, the, the wherewithal to look back. And what she saw was the pump still attached to the car with the hose trailing behind. It had detached from the gas station, and I was driving away with it because I had forgotten to put it back into the holder. So we stopped, and uh, with apologies, we gave, the, um, we gave it back, the, the pump. <laughs> but today I wonder this. How about this? What if I had said, you know what? I don't want to give it back. I, from now on, this is how I want to drive my car around. I want to drive it with the pump already in it. You know, that makes it easy. Just have to, You already have your own pump. What if... I wanted to drive my... Who gets to say how I drive my car? Maybe this is how I want to do it. If I said that, you would probably push back and say, you're crazy because that's not how pumps are designed. You're crazy because that's not how cars were made. That's not, how, that's not what it's, it says in the user manual. That's what all laws are, is they are meant to align us with how our user manual is. That is what... It means to live in line with the, with the law. And I think there's a crazy experiment happening right now. In today's culture, every other culture has always said there is a, a, a group of law codes about how to live. Now, our culture is saying, yeah, there isn't one. You decide for yourself. And I think it's a great experiment because, I, personally, I think getting to do what you want, wherever you want, with whoever you want, with your bodies, if that leads to more brokenness, that's not a good law. If that leads to more hurt and heartache, that's not good. If freedom, it's not, I would say it's not freedom if the way we're living is breaking us down and making things worse. And, and so I'm sitting here, and I think we all are, and we're watching the data, and we're looking at how is this experiment working? Is it actually happening? Is it good for us? Is, is, or is it leading to more commodification? Is it leading to more cons- consuming each other in unhealthy ways? And so go back to the, this, the ancient biblical law that folks think are, is regressive. These are not arbitrary rules. This is the owner's manual for how to live. And yes, there are different categories, right? There's civil law and there's ceremonial law. Civil law is no, no, no longer applies to us. And ceremonial law is fulfilled in redemptive history. And yet both those laws are still important for us to look at to see the heart of God. And the moral law, the Ten Commandments, still applies and still gives us what it means to be human. And so instead of these just being rituals for us to prove our loyalty, there are good commands, there are good laws in here to show us, to guide us, what it really means to love each other and to care for each other. And it's through the Lord who says, I created you, I made you, I know how you were designed, 
Here's what it looks like. Now, B, those of you who say, well, yeah, fine, but what about all this stuff about if you obey it, then you're in, and if you don't obey it, then you're out? You might even point to verse 5. Look, Go down to verse 5. What it says there, it says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, if you obey. See, a lot of you say, see, that's it right there. That's that if. If, I'm, if then I'm in, and if I don't, then I'm out. But I want you to look more closely. Look, what's happening in the verse before? Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. What's God doing there? He's pointing out a couple of things, right? He's saying, hey, I want you to remember something. I saved you. I brought you out of enslavement. I brought you out of the brokenness and the slavery. And I did it on eagles' wings. And I think this verse might be one of the most important verses in the Bible because this is the place going forward where God addresses his people and says, I want you to know something. That what he's telling us here sets the rest of human redemptive history. It tells us how to read the laws. It tells us how, to, how God wants to relate to us. And what it means is, if right here clearly he says, I already saved you, then whatever is happening in the next verse, it can't be, if you obey, then you'll be saved. That's, it's contradictory. He literally says, the verse before, I already saved you. That means it can't be, if you do this, then you'll earn your salvation. No, he's already secured his love for us. So let me try to be as clear as possible. If you get nothing else out of today, remember this. Grace comes before the law. In fact, I would actually say grace brings about the law. The reason why it even comes is because God had already saved them. And now he's saying here is how to live. In verse 5, the very first word, now, is a very important word. Now, after, therefore, that conjunction is saying here's how to live in light. And so if you have joy and gratitude, if you really realize that you've been saved and loved and cared for in this way, then approaching the following words is not something that we have to do. It's something you're going to want to do. Approaching the following words is, gonna, is not, uh, not going to be a restriction that you have to do. It's going to be a love that you're going to want to do. Put it this way. If you are in a burning apartment, your apartment's burning down, and somebody runs in and saves you, is your first phrase to them going to be, great, what's it going to cost me? Is your first phrase going to be, you know what, what are you doing? Uh, thanks for nothing. I could have done this myself. No. You wouldn't do that. If you were asleep in your bed and somebody comes in and wakes you up and grabs you and pulls you out, somebody that doesn't know who you are, the first question you're going to ask is, who are you? What are you about? If you are the type of person who goes in and doesn't know who I am and saves me, I want to know what law of life you live by. I want to know what you're about. I want to know, you know, if you valued me this much, what do you value? That's what it looks like to look at biblical law. If everybody has laws already, and I think we've already shown that, and the law of God is not how to get God, but rather it's a product of grace, I would hope that we would be curious. I think it's not easy, right? There's a lot of history and, and um, 
uh, cultic practice and civil and ceremonial and important things we need to look at, but will we be curious enough to get involved, to see the user manual that's before us? Now, that's the law that brings about and shows us what freedom looks like. Now, number two, good intentions, but they fail. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. I think, go back to our text, the people in our text are not modern people. They don't see this, at least not right here, as overly restrictive. They don't see this as being arbitrary. In fact, they see it a lot more than that. And you say, well, how's that? how do you know that? Look at verse 8. When, when all this happens, God says all this stuff, they say this. They've responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now, maybe I'm just a, a very uh, skeptical New Yorker. But when I first read that, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to sneer at it. I wanted to be like, well, you know, ironic or something. I wanted to do something, but I, you can't. It is so, it is so nice. It's just, it's so good that maybe, just maybe, they really did feel like they could do this. That we will do everything that the Lord has said. And I think we should take them at their word. Maybe they were on fire for God. Maybe they finally let it sink in. That God doesn't, by the way, when he says, I saved you an eagle of wings, he doesn't give a list of all the different ways he saved them. He doesn't say, by the way, I saved you from Egypt. I saved you. You didn't even have to worry about the first nine plagues. And by the way, that tenth plague that could have killed you, right, the, the angel of death, I gave you Passover and the lamb. And, you know, I saved you again the fourth time. I saved you at the Red Sea. And then the fifth time is when you were hungry. And the sixth time when you were thirsty. He doesn't give a list. But maybe they just finally let that sink in. Maybe in our own lives, right, maybe there'll be a time when we finally say, well, it happens over and over and over again. Maybe I'll let it sink in. And I think the, the, what we should look at and see is perhaps they actually have the joy and gratitude. Because this is, by the way, the proper response. We should all respond the same way. And yet I think this should be a warning for us as well, right? What's the warning? The warning is that even though they have good intentions— we know the rest of biblical history, they fail at this. And we'll, we're going to keep going in our series. But they're going to not do it. There's not even going to be a time when they actually fulfill this verse 8. They fail. Why? Because the human heart has the uncanny ability to not see itself well. We have the ability to not realize our inability and it's made me all week to say, wait a second, if these people missed it this much and there's all these miracles happening around them, what might, you and me, what might I be missing? What might you be missing? See, I think you can think you're a good leader. You might even think you're leading well, but maybe you're not. You can have all the desire in the world to love people well. It doesn't mean you're loving them well. You can see, you can have good intentions. It doesn't mean the impact hasn't actually hurt others. I think we can say, hey, I don't want to harm others, but, but then you actually do harm and I, th- I think it's the beginning, when we start looking at our own hearts, I think that's the beginning of being a little slower to accuse. We begin to be a little more careful with our assumptions. We begin to become a little more discerning of our errors. 
David in Psalm 19, which I looked this up. We don't actually know when he wrote Psalm 19, but he says this there. He says, who can discern their, er- their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Now, did he write that after what he did to Bathsheba because he's realizing he had hidden faults? Or did he write this before and he just had hidden faults he couldn't see? I don't know. But I think what he's pointing out is repentance can't be just about what you see. It has to be about also what you can't see. And I think nobody's going to be able to see their issues and needs by just being told they have to be shown. This is why I think science teachers are one of the coolest teachers out there because science teachers don't just tell you about the principles. They, sh- they do the experiments. They blow stuff up, the good ones. Right? They, 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 they show you what you need to see. David couldn't see his error. He needed Nathan to show him. And I'd say the same thing for you and me. I, can't, I could stand up here and tell us of all of our errors. It won't mean a thing. These people were told all their errors too. They needed to be shown their errors. I think uh, another example of this is wedding vows. I love doing weddings. But when, we do, when I do weddings, they all, the promises are always, I'm going to love you forever. I'm going to care for you all the time. And the minute they say that, I, I, don't, I, don't, I try not to be mean on their wedding day, but the minute they say that, they're not going to fulfill it. Why? Because we have this inability to see the darkness inside. And so I believe the law actually has multiple uses. Yes, it's the user manual. It's, it's, the, it's good. Right? There is a goodness. The third use of the law is that it is good for us to see how to live, but it also shows us what we don't do. It also shows us what we can't do. And it took, the, and it took Israel thousands of years to figure that out. But I'm still asking ourselves, like, what, how long is it going to take us to figure this out? How long will it, will it be for us to, to, to see that we don't, just not just, we don't just not live by God's laws? I challenge you. Think of the laws that you apply to other people, that you should be nice and you should be kind and you should love other people. You don't follow those laws that you have for them for yourself. When will we wake up and say, I can't do it and I won't do it? When will we realize that we can't save ourselves and not just know that intellectually? When will that have been shown to us experientially? Because maybe, and just maybe, the hurt that you're feeling right now the hurt that God has allowed to be in your life, maybe that's God's way of trying to show you your need. Maybe that's God's way of saying the laws you're living by are not the laws that you should live by. Maybe it, our, it, the inability that, to see ourselves, maybe that's why we're chasing after these other laws out there. And you think, well, if I just work harder, then that law will fulfill me. Maybe if I uh, just try more. Maybe if I get that second blessing of the Spirit. Maybe if I... Uh, you know, just put more hours in at work and get the success from my career that I want, then that'll be okay. Friends, I think it's okay to have good intentions. Good intentions are good, but we need to realize that they always fail. And the sooner that we see it, the sooner we'll be able to look for a different framework. So last point, what do we do? I think a good parent, a good father, a good mother doesn't tell the kids what they need, they show them. I think a good teacher doesn't just tell them, shows them. And I think God does that with a framework of love here in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 20 at the end of this passage that is in your bulletin. There's a threefold framework here. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say it out. I am the Lord, this is verse 2, your God who brought you out of Egypt 
out of the land of slavery. There's a threefold framework there that shows us something. What? Well, first, I am the Lord. Real quick. I used to work with college students on college campuses as a campus minister. And I used to regularly go to coffee shops with blank pieces of paper because I would meet up with a lot of non-Christians. And I used to draw a line in the middle of this piece of paper. And I would put the, just on the title on the, on the headings, God or no God. And I'd say, hey, I just want to do an exercise with you. Let's list out the implications if there's a God, if there's not a God. And you tell me, what are the implications? And they would fill out for themselves. They'd say, well, if there's not a God, there is no overarching purpose to humanity. There is no overarching morality. I'm like, you're right. Right? Because if you evolved out of nothing through random natural selection, and if you devolve into nothing, you technically can't have, logically, something in between. Not really. I mean, you can have make-believe, or you can feel it, but it doesn't mean it's real. But if there is a God... The implications are what? There, there is a larger purpose in reality of the world. There is a morality in user manual. Because there's that, 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 because that's, what it, that, that's the implications. Now, I would, we would sit back, and you know what I didn't do? I didn't say, which one do you want to believe? I never, I never had to say that. I would, I'd sit back, and the question I would ask is this. Which one are you already living as if you do believe it? And often, they would say, because well, I would say, that, um, Whatever their answer is, I'm like, you already believe it. You're already living that way, that there is a God. All right, number one. Now, number two, it's not just God, your God. In our text, whenever you see the word Lord, like in verse 3 of, or verse of chapter 19, the word Lord is the personal name of God, Yahweh. And personal means knowable. Knowable means what? That he's po- it's possible for you to fathom him. But it's not just that. It's your God. There is a, a movement of not just God out there and, you know, I can't deistic, I can't actually get in touch with him. There is a God that is for us and with us and he cares for us and wants to be with us. And that means you're never going to be alone. That means you are never going to ever have to worry if he's really for you, if he's your God. You don't have to worry if he's ever going to forsake you if he's your God. You're never going to have to. That's what that's saying. That your God means he, it's not so much the important thing in the world is for you to have your heart set on him. If he's your God, it means throughout time and space, he's had his heart set on you. Often even before you know it. When, particularly when you don't know it. And you say, okay, what's the proof? Well, the last leg of the framework is who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And here in chapter 20, before the Ten Commandments are given, this is what's being said. This is what I want to point out. That means two times in two chapters, before any law of if, if you obey, if you get this, before the Ten Commandments, both times, God is trying to tell us, I've already saved you. I've already brought you home. So why is he doing it two times in two chapters? It must mean this is going to be one of those areas that's going to be very difficult for us to understand. It's almost as if he's trying to say, be careful. I want to make this clear, that it's not going to be through the law. It's going to be through the blood of the sacrificial lamb. It's going to be through the one who stands on the rock that gets, that gets struck down. It's going to be through the costliness of the salvation. And that's going to be the proof of the love. Every other religion that I know of, and I challenge you, every religion, every non-religion, 
that I know of, the ethic, the law, is if you do, then you're in. And if you don't, then you're out. Only Christianity that I know of is freedom found not in doing, but in being. In, it's centered on being loved by your God. That's what this is saying over and over and over again. And resting that freedom into the degree that we experience that, that you are secure in that freedom, will you then desire the law not to earn your salvation, not to want to, you know, get in God's good graces. That's already happened. But to live in line with our created order. This past week, I was in a funk again. It seems like every Sunday I come up here, I'm like, I'm still in a funk. Why am I in a funk? Why are we all in a funk? We're in a funk when we're looking at our circumstances. We're in a funk when we're looking at ourselves. We know what we want, we know what we hope for, and then we look at reality. It's, it's desire versus uh, reality. Because all we're seeing is all that isn't. The problem with that is when you're staring at yourself, there's no way to see, I am the Lord, you are God, who brought you out. How will we see that? I used to volunteer at a homeless uh, mission regularly years ago. And there was a man there that I became friends with. Let's just call him Sam. Sam found out that I was a Christian, and so he loved to say, I just want you to know something. You know, I know we're friends and stuff, but just so you know, I am never, ever going to become a Christian because I don't want the Bible's authority over me. I don't want God to be the boss of me. I'm the boss of myself. And so just so you know, it's never going to happen. I'll eat the food here, and I'll I'll talk to you, and we can be friends, but I just want to set the record straight. And I'd be like, okay, okay, okay. And I actually didn't, didn't know how to reply to him the first couple times he said this, but he said it a lot. One time I came, and I was ready for it. I knew what he was going to say. And I said, to, I said this to him in as nice a way as possible. I said, Sam, I know you don't want Jesus to be the boss of you. You know, I, I know you don't want to have a boss, but you need to realize something. Crack and cocaine is the authority that you put yourself under. You do have a boss in your life. You have subjected yourself to someone or something And I need to be honest with you. I don't think they're treating you very well. I don't think they're being very kind. I don't think they've been a good boss and a good leader. And you say you're free, but I think you're kidding yourself that you have a master and he's not loving you well. And I used to feel, I felt so smug saying that. I was like, yeah, I told you. (laughs) The older I've gotten, the more I realize I'm just like Sam. That I don't realize who, I think I'm free, but I don't realize who's been the boss of me. I don't realize like, who I've put myself under. And I think we're in the same space. That you're obeying some law out there and it's not treating you well. And so will you recognize who your boss is? Will you recognize that those laws are not going to fit your user manual? But the law of God is good because it's what we were designed for. And so my question to you is, what are we waiting around? What, what are we waiting for? We need to unshackle ourselves from being bound by the laws and the rules that won't work. Uh, Graham mentioned earlier that tomorrow is Juneteenth, and um, if you want a really cool NPR interview to listen to, you should Google Laura Smalley's NPR interview. Uh, She was a woman that was interviewed in 1941, but she was actually a slave in 1865 in June in Texas. She was in that town when the 2,000 troops showed up. And in the interview, she talks about how there was a very simple statement in in the center square, and then they were free. And in her words, what did she say? 
she said she, she was turned out. And yet the rest of the interview, she talks about how she was free, but she didn't know how to act free. That even though she was legally free, it's another thing to live out that freedom. And again, I, I think, you know, Graham said it earlier, but I'll say it again. I think God is saying the same thing to us cosmically. That we are children of God, we've been declared free, but we're not living in that freedom. Right? We're still, we're still shackled. Think why we worry. Why are we overworking? Why are we so distraught when we're not getting what we want? Why are we so bothered that we're not getting what we deserve? It's because we're not living into our freedom. Go back to verse 5 of chapter 19 again. If this is not saying, oh, if you do this, then you'll be in. What's it saying? If you obey what? Three things. You'll be treasured, you'll be a holy nation, and you'll be a kingdom of priests. You'll be treasured. Maybe we'll finally realize we're treasured. We'll be a holy nation that's, that's being set apart. There's a specialness to us. But we will be a kingdom of priests, and we don't have time for this. It's a whole other sermon. But priests were interceders. They went between God and the people. What's amazing about this verse is God wanted his people to serve and care for the world that he cared about. He wanted us to partake in and be the very thing that he was to others. He was asking these people that now that you have this joy and this gratitude, now that you've already been saved, your mission, if you take it, the purpose to your reality is loving and caring and serving. It's not how much money is in your bank account. It is not how many letters are behind your name. It is not how the relationship you've been seeking and hoping for. Not ultimately. Ultimately, it's this, to be on mission because of the special love and salvation of God propels us to live naturally and lovingly in other people's lives. What's amazing about this text is these people did not do it, and we know the history of Israel, they did not do it, not collectively, but there was one who came from Israel, fully Jewish, fully God, and through his life and death, he was on mission for others. Jesus fulfills even this command that centuries later, he loved and served. And if you fill yourself with that love, it's going to spill out naturally. And that's what I want us to be as Redeemer Lincoln Square. Will we do that? But it, it, it starts with seeing that only the law of God will li- help us live in line, but only by realizing that we are already fully accepted and loved in him will we be able now to turn in obedience to be on mission into the world, to move out into each other's lives more. Will we do that? It starts with this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out. Let's realize that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, will we do this? It's the question before these Israelites for 60 chapters, for all of redemptive history. It's the question we're still asking. You have come to a people and said you are treasured. I have saved you. I have loved you. Father, I feel like we, some of us feel like it's too easy. It's too easy just to do that. But when we say that, we're not realizing the cost, the costliness to your son, that it's costly to serve others. It's painful often. It's thankless. You don't get the accolades of the world through it, to care for your mom a little bit more, to uh, not get what you're due and what you're owed. And yet, that's what you've done on the cross in the person of Jesus. I pray that we 
would more and more realize who our master is, and he's not been good, but our Lord and Savior is. And I pray that we'll put ourselves under him. Pray all things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.